Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. Thank you, praise team, and good morning, Four Mile. A couple of things, we become what we celebrate, and uh, there's been a lot going on in the life of this church and, and in our personal life, and we just haven't been able to celebrate like we really ought to and should, and I, I would even argue like we must celebrate. So I want to take just a few moments, just a moment of uh, personal privilege to, uh, to celebrate some things with you. Can we do that? All right, here we go. First, let's start on the big thing. For the past uh, two years or so, uh, under the leadership of Brother Todd, when he was y'all's interim, and our interim specifically because we're part of that, uh, he launched uh, in conjunction uh, and with counsel with other leaders in this church a giving campaign to help fund my salary. We need to celebrate the fact that God has been faithful in that. So that's something we celebrate. We celebrate that. Some of you may think that seems a little self-serving. I'm just going to tell you, and we're going to talk about this today because we're talking about tithing. Uh, if you don't give faithfully, well, if you say God's called this church to have a full-time pastor, that's not going to be feasible if we're not giving. But we need to celebrate. You gave faithfully of that. I believe that the goal of that was an additional 1% of your income. Is that what that was, 1%? And you did that. We thank you for that. That is something to be praised. Let's go on the second thing. Uh, there is no way you could call a full-time pastor, uh, and in this market, he and his wife afford a house. So y'all undertook a big campaign to renovate the parsonage that, as I understand it, so desperately needed renovating. Is that right? It needed renovating? Is that the word on the street? Okay. So y'all were quick to say, yeah, earlier, not quick to say today. Y'all gave faithfully. People called contacts that they had uh, all over the nation, and people have uh, given to that. And can I just tell you, to my knowledge, at no point did we ever dip in to the general fund of this church to cover that renovation. God is faithful. That's something to celebrate. So celebrate that. Y'all, that's the one thing about Baptists. Y'all, y'all jumping on the inside, but not on the outside. Uh, here's the other thing. Uh, through, through a scheduling snafu, I was not able to be here last week, but we had a baptism last week. So we need to celebrate the fact we had a baptism. We become what we celebrate. And so we had a baptism. We celebrate that. We celebrate what, what we celebrate, we become. So we celebrate and we celebrate. We're to be a people of celebration. I also want us to talk about Annie Armstrong. Annie Armstrong is coming up for North American Missions. Can I just tell you we have reached a point in which other nations are now sending missionaries to us. Okay, we are no longer the predominant nation sending. We now have people being sent to us. Here's the reality. If you think just because we live in the Bible Belt, everybody knows about Jesus. Friend, you've been played like a fiddle by Satan. Not everybody's heard about Jesus. Uh, I've met some of those people who don't know anything about Jesus, and the first time they've ever heard about him here in uh, the Bible Belt is when I spoke his name. So when we give to Annie Armstrong, we're helping uh, North American missions. Now, we have a goal of $3,000 this year. $3,000 may seem like a lofty goal, but I do believe it is achievable. As of this past Wednesday, the total that we've had is $395. Now, we're going to celebrate the $395. $395 is more than zero, is it not? So we celebrate the $395, but there's still more to do. There's $3,000, okay? 
Our goal is 3,000. What happens if we don't make, uh, make the goal? It's not the end of the world, okay? But, you know, you can't hit something if you don't know what you're trying to hit. So we're going to try to hit it, okay? And in God's good timing and faithfulness, if he wills and if he allows, we're going to hit it, okay? But our goal is 3,000 as a church, okay? So continue to give to that. If you're like me and you almost forgot to give, can I just tell you? You got a few more weeks to give, so go ahead and give, all right? I realized last week that we had not yet written to Annie and uh, a check, that is, and we go from there. Can I ask you something? When you, when you go out to eat or you go to the uh, store, how many of you uh, pay with cash and cash only? I'm not going to raise my hand because <laughs> we very seldom ever carry cash. How many of you pay with a piece of plastic, whether it's a debit card or a credit card, okay? How many of you still have a checkbook? All right, how many of you know what a ledger is? All right, I know some people who are just a tad bit younger than me, they, they have a checkbook, but they have no idea what a ledger is, okay? And so I don't know how they're accounting that. I live by the ledger. I do not live by the bank account. So if the ledger says I've got $200 less than what that online account says, well, I'm living by that ledger, all right? Let's talk about money. Now, when I was a life insurance agent, we were required to ask people about not only their medical history, but their financial history. And I found it amazingly funny that in those conversations, people had no issue talking about uh, their medical history, if they drank, if they smoked, if they did drugs. But then when we had to shift the conversation to their finances, oh my goodness. They got defensive. Why do you need to know? Well, I need to know ethically because I can't recommend a product to you that you can't afford because if I do that knowing better, I've committed an ethics violation. So I have to know these things. Sometimes people, after an explanation, would willingly give with no reservation information about their financial history. Sometimes they would do so begrudgingly. Isn't it amazing that when we start talking about money, people get real apprehensive? They get real apprehensive. How many of you have ever had to go and ask your boss for a raise? Get a little apprehensive there. Money is a sticky subject, but talking about it is necessary. And while it is a sticky subject for us, it is not a sticky subject for Jesus. Steve Gaines, pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, I shared these numbers a few weeks ago, but I'll share them again. He pointed out in a recent sermon that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of the gospel, one out of six verses deal with money. One out of six. That is a vast amount. Of the 29 parables that were told, 16 of them, over half, 16 of the 29 parables told in those three Gospels deal with money. Ponder that. It was quipped also in his sermon that Jesus talked so much about money in the Sermon on the Mount, it ought to be called the Sermon on the Amount. Jesus talked a lot about money, and if you say preachers should never talk about money, you've got to cut a lot of stuff out of the Bible. Because God talks a lot about money. In fact, Steve Gaines went on to say this. He said, why, why did Jesus talk so much about money? Well, he also offered the answer. He said, Jesus talked a lot about finances because he knew that if you don't get your finances right, it's hard to have a strong relationship with the Lord. Why? Because you're bound up. You're in bondage when you don't do it God's way. It's Jesus who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where's your treasure at? 
I think it was Billy Graham who's quoted as saying, give me your checkbook and I will tell you where your heart's at. Now you'd have to give us the bank statement. Right? Hardly anybody keeps a ledger. We do, but that's neither here nor there. Where your money is, there your treasure's going. Uh, where, where, your, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. It's a heart matter. It's a heart matter. And so I want us to look at today some biblical realities about giving and about tithing. Now, I have no qualms doing this. I remember being a, uh, being a young Christian trying to figure it out. I was car hopping at Sonic, and I'm trying to figure out how much to tithe. And I asked my youth pastor, do I tithe on the gross or do I tithe on the net? Do I tithe before taxes or after taxes? And Tom Descant, sitting in his office, said, you tithe on whatever you want the Lord to bless. We tithe on the gross. Just because Uncle Sam gets to it first does not mean that your first fruits have changed. Tithe before taxes. So we're going to talk about this today. And when we give to God, we give out of appreciation and love for all that he's done for us. Giving is an act of worship, and there is an immediate physical result to giving to God. And I want to talk about that real quick. This, by the way, this is just all introductory stuff because I can't get to it in the sermon. But, but I want to take a moment to give you some, some tangible ways that you're giving serves the kingdom. Right now, the air conditioner's on. That is not intentional to illustrate a point. It's because when I walked in here, I was burning up. But when you give to the ongoing work of God through Four Mile Creek Baptist Church, yeah, you're helping run the air conditioners, you're helping keep the lights on, but you're also helping fund the student ministry, the children's ministry, the worship ministry, you're helping fund my ministry, you're helping fund everything we do. Not only are you helping fund what we do, you're also funding missionaries across the world. We give a set percentage. It's not as much as we want to give, but we're starting. And by the way, we're going to get into that. You've got to start somewhere. So start and then increase it as you go. But right now, I believe it's five or six cents of every dollar that you give goes to missions through the cooperative program, through the Jackson County Baptist Association, and through a designated church missions account. You're giving to that. Just when you tithe, you don't have to designate anything in those regards. You're funding it all. You're funding it all. So there's immediate, tangible results to when you tithe. Now, there's also blessing involved in that, and we're going to get into this. But we give to God out of appreciation for what he's done. You support outreach as you give. You support so much. So we're going to examine today the biblical mandate for faithfulness uh, in giving, and we're also going to talk about what tithing is and is not, plus how to tithe. Okay. Now, I did that because I want to put parameters on this. Some of you are going to think, man, Pastor, I really wish you would have said fill in the blank. This is not an exhaustive sermon. You're going to say, man, I wish you had said it like this. Well, you know what? When you preach on tithing, you can preach how you want to preach on it. Okay? And so listen, this is not exhaustive. I'm not going to cover everything. I'm not going to say everything that maybe you think ought to be said. This is a starting point. My hope and my desire is that maybe your curiosity will be piqued if you want to know more and you will dive into it. You will read from faithful saints who are much older than me. I'm, I'm talking guys who, who have been around since Moses. And you can, you can read what they say. And let me tell you, there, there are plenty of preachers much older who have been doing this, who, who are in their sunset years, who have written on this, and I really appreciate what they say. So listen, we're going to have a hard conversation today. It may be hard for you. It's not hard for me. It may be hard for you. But if you want to know more, dive into it. Ask God to reveal to you what he would have you to do with your money. 
Do your finances God's way and he'll take care of the rest. Okay? Now that being said, we're in the book of Deuteronomy today. Deuteronomy 14. It is the fifth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the last book of the Torah. And in this, God is laying out law. He's laying out uh, this is how you do things. Essentially, he's telling his people, be holy for I'm holy. Now in this... I need to turn to it myself because I'm in the book of Zephaniah right now and we're not even there today. But in it, God tells his people, be holy for I am holy. And then he begins to talk about giving. God cares about your money. In fact, it's his money that you've been tasked with stewarding. So steward it well. One day, God's going to ask you to give an account for how you handled his money. Do you want to be able to give a good report? Do you want to be able to make your Lord happy? I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I'm just asking you honestly. Let's be able to give a good report to the Lord. So let's, let's talk about some giving. Looking in verse 22, and we're just going to take these in sections. So we're not going to read all seven verses. We're just going to take it in sections. In verse 22 of chapter 14, the Lord says this. Each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. Each year you are to do this. You are to give a tenth of your uh, produce. Can I just tell you that giving to the Lord was expected for, uh, for both the people of the Old and New Testaments and therefore us today? It is expected. It is not a good idea. It is expected. You are to give to the Lord. He says each year you're, you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown. He doesn't say maybe you should do this. Or this would be a good idea, or this would be a really neat thing if you could. No, he says each year you were to set aside a tenth of all your produce. You're to set it aside. He'll go on to say in verse 23 what you're to do with it. And in the rest of this uh, text, he'll tell you what you're to do with it and who it's for. But here's the other thing. Giving to God is commanded. Notice the point of of the first point today does not say giving is commanded. There are many people who have giving under control, right? ASPCA, is that what it is? The ASPCA, the animal organization? Or on TV for a little under three cents a day, you can feed a child in need. Local civic organizations are always asking for money. There are people who have giving under control. That's why the point is not giving is commanded. People have giving under control. And a lot of those people who have giving under control with civic organizations and who also claim to be Christians often, in my experience, do not have a concept of faithfully giving to God through his local church. Listen, if you want to give to a civic organization, fine. More power to you. But can I just tell you, if you're doing it to the neglect of your Lord and his church, there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Listen, God owns everything. The command carries weight because he has all authority. He's created everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Colossians 1.16 and 17, we read this. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, and by him all things hold together. He has authority. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the Great Commission. The only reason the Great Commission carries weight is because he has all authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Newsflash, do you know what all means? All. I, I know, right? A word is what it is by definition. All means all. 
He has all authority. He doesn't have some of it. He doesn't have a little bit of it. He has all authority. So when Jesus speaks, when God speaks, we can take it to the bank. Giving to a charity or civic organization is not enough. You are to give to God through the local church. Many are generous givers. They give their time, money, energy, and advocacy to all these things. But yet when it comes to God and his church, they just don't seem to want to do it. Now that may be you in here. You may say, you know, I, I, I just don't want to give to the local church. I'm a member here, but I just don't want to give. Maybe you have concerns. I understand that sometimes. Uh, being a church member, there may be concerns about how finances are spent, about how finances are stewarded. Can I just tell you, we have a stewardship team. You can talk to them. We have a staff. You can talk to us. We'll, we will get you in touch with a stewardship team, and you can ask any question you want. We're not hiding anything. We're above board. We'll put it out there to you. Just this uh, recent uh, stewardship team meeting, we were working on spending policies to better help us steward the resources that we've been entrusted with. And also to give more freedom and, 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 and liberty with those who have budget responsibilities in this church. Listen, giving to God is commanded. Give. Even when you are unsure about how things are going, ask questions. Don't just assume the worst. Go and ask. Listen, you're not giving to me. You're not giving to the stewardship team. You're not giving to, to the children's ministry, or the youth ministry, or to the education or worship ministry. No, you're giving to God through his church and through the church as we seek to glorify God in what we do. And worship, connect, give, serve, and go. As we do those things, you're funding those things to the glory of God. Give faithfully. If you've been withholding, stop withholding. Yeah, come on. I understand, listen, I understand, the tempt I understand the temptation to withhold. Now, I don't want to bind your conscience in this way, but I'll tell you this. Anytime I've withheld and God's convicted me of that, I give him his portion. Not only what I'm given currently, but what I owe. It's his money. I'm given to God. Faithful and consistent giving to the Holy God is commanded. Now you ask, how much should I give? Now we're talking about giving, so let's talk about how much you should give. Biblically speaking, a tithe is 10%. Some preachers have tried to uh, bring that down. Some preachers have tried to increase it. Biblically speaking, it's 10% minimum. Minimum. Did, did you catch that? 10% minimum. Now here's the reality. You may not be able to start at 10%. I understand that. Okay, sometimes finances get tight and you may be learning how to tithe. And listen, I'm going to tell you, I understand when I was learning how to tithe, I didn't always do it perfectly and I probably undergave. I was trying to learn how to do it. Plus, I also had tips involved and I was trying to figure out all that stuff. And I get it. Sometimes it's tough, but you pick a number is what I'd say to you as you're learning. You pick a number and you work your way up. Anything less than 10% is kindergarten level. Are you still in kindergarten? If you're in kindergarten, let's, let's graduate you from kindergarten and move you on up. If you can't do 10%, pick a number, do that faithfully. And every chance you get, you find a way to increase it. You find a way to give more. Giving faithfully and consistently is commanded. It is not a suggestion. It is not a good idea. It is commanded. Every year, he says, you're to set aside a tenth of all that you get. By the way lest you think 
that Jesus did not affirm the tithe. He indeed did affirm the tithe. In Matthew 23, I call it the woe chapter because he keeps saying, woe to you, woe to you, is what he says. He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, deal, cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things, Jesus says, should have been done without neglecting the other. Listen. You're to give faithfully, period. But if the heart's not been right and is not right, God does not want any amount that you write on that check. We don't want it either. If God don't want it, we don't want it. If your heart's not right and given, don't come and put it in the offering plate. You get your heart right, and then you come put it in the plate. Okay? Brother Craig, I think that's a little weird. Hey, I've had to do it. I've had to withhold my tithe for a period of time. It's not that I go and spend it on other things. It's, hey, Lord, I'm not going to tithe right now because I can't do this with the proper heart, but I want to do it with the proper heart. So, Lord, I'm going to set this to the side. Let's work on my heart. And when we get this right, I want to bring this to you and give freely. Jesus affirmed the tithe. He's saying, hey, listen, keep doing that, but your heart needs to be in the right place. We were talking about that this morning in, 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 in staff meeting as, as we were, were reading through the battle plan for prayer. And we were talking about postures of prayer. And I think it was Todd who pointed out that it's not so much the physical posture of prayer as much as it is the posture of the heart that extends to giving. It extends to service. Your heart needs to be in the right place. If your heart's not in the right place, don't give it. Get your heart in the right place, then bring it. You got bitterness, go resolve the issue, and then bring it. Not only is giving to God commanded, giving to God teaches us reverence and trust. Listen to verses, verse 23. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine and fresh oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. So listen, you're going to take this tenth and you're going to have a feast. And you're not just going to have a feast at your home. You're going to go to the temple and you're going to have the feast there. Why are you going to do this? Look at, the set, look, look at the end of this verse. So that you will always learn. It is continual. It never stops. You're never one and done. So that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. As we give, we are pushed into deeper dependence and trust upon holy God. We give because as we do, he teaches us to fear him, to respect him all the more, to be more deeply dependent on him, and to trust him in all things. When you give 10% of your income, here's what you're saying. And other preachers have noted this. This isn't me. Other people have said it. You're essentially saying this when you give 10% of your income. Lord, I'm going to trust you to do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. Can I just tell you through personal experience God is always able to do more with your 90 than with your 100. A few months ago, we paid our bills. And I'm over here thinking, Lord, we ain't got money to eat. We ain't got money for gas. We ain't got money for none of it. And I mean, I'm laying in bed and I'm tossing and turning. And I said, well, Lord, you own it all. That's your problem to deal with. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. We went two weeks, never hurt for grocery money, never hurt for gas money, never hurt for anything else. And we got to the end of that two weeks, and the next pay cycle came, 
I said, Lord, I worry about nothing. I worry about nothing. You took care of it. It teaches us reverence and trust because God can do more with your 90 than your 100. And when you say that to him, he'll always make good on it. Because I'm going to tell you something. We're going to get to it. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but oh well. God never dishonors the gift or the giver. God will meet all of your needs, not your greeds, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will take care of you. You don't have to scheme. He'll take care of you. Trust him. It teaches us to trust him all the more. Now, you may say, Pastor, I don't, you, well, you, you don't know my needs. No, but God does. And God owns it all. You're okay. Trust him. Jesus says this, and I understand this passage. The immediate context, Jesus is talking about worry and anxiety. There's application here, though. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even one, I'm sorry, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry. Boy, some of you are thinking, man, I wish that was enough. Just say it ain't so, and it's taken care of. So don't worry, Jesus says, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Christian, when you worry about your finances, and when you worry about how you're going to make ends meet, and when you worry about anything else, you are essentially being a practical atheist. Tony Evans, I believe, is the one who said that faith is acting like God's telling the truth. Your heavenly Father knows your needs better than you do. He knows your needs before you know your needs. My goodness. He knows your needs. And he goes on, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Every time you tithe, friend, you are demonstrating faith. He knows your needs, and he's going to meet those needs in the proper time and the proper way. He owns it all. He's going to meet your needs. Philippians 4.19, you give faithfully, you put him to the test, and you're going to discover that he is indeed faithful. I have never been without. If I've ever paid all my bills where I even wrote my tithe check, you know what I've discovered? God's always provided money to tithe with. By the way, for me, I'm going to pay the tithe. We're going to pay the tithe. We will pay the tithe before we pay a bill. By the way, if you think, well, pastor, you should be tithing anyway. Well, Christian, You should be tithing. Same grace that saved me, saved you. Same Lord I have, same Lord you have. What's your excuse? If I stopped tithing, my wife and I did, y'all would have a big issue with that. Wouldn't you, Mike? He's stewardship chairman. There'd be issue with that. You give, you give faithfully. 
Be invested in that. And by the way, side note, tasty little rabbit trail. We've been talking a lot about unity in this church. If you're not invested financially, don't claim that you really want unity in this church. Put your money where your mouth is. That'll get you in line. You start getting invested with the mission, vision, and strategy of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church, which we've laid that out as we've been going through the book of Acts. Let me tell you something. Your priority, notice I did not make that plural, your priority will get right. I'm vested in this. I have, a, I have a part in this. I've got skin in the game. I got skin in the game. Can I just tell you, by the way, skin in the game is an important reality. In World War II, Britain and America got into a diplomatic dispute. This is not well known. Here it is. On paper, the United States was given exponentially more to the war effort in oil and gas. But in reality, it was Britain. Do you know a gallon in Britain is more than a gallon in the United States? And so they're getting in a dispute. Britain's saying, actually, we're, we're, US, we're, we're giving more than you. And the U.S. saying, no, we're giving more than you. And finally, somebody took the time to say, well, they're actually two different sizes of a gallon. And ours is larger. So we're giving fewer gallons, but we're giving more than you are. However much you're giving here, as long as you're giving faithfully and consistently as the Lord has led you, you have skin in the game. And there's no need to say, well, I'm giving more than this person, so I get more of a say. Or because I can't give as much as this person, then it doesn't really matter what I think. You give faithfully and consistently with whatever you can out of whatever resources God has given you. And as you do that, and as we each do that, and as we're each putting our money where our mouth is, that fosters unity. Because when you've got money tied up in something, it's a little bit harder for you to say, I'm done. You want it to work. I hope you want it to work. You got money tied up into a car, you're going to try your best to fix it. Why? Because you made an investment. More than just coming and sitting on a pew or helping on a work day, you're financially invested. You've trusted the Lord with your 90, with your 10%. You're trusting him to do more with your 90. As you give, it will foster unity. Giving to God teaches us reverence and it teaches us trust. Am I making sense? Okay. Here's the other reality. It's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. Giving to God is not burdensome. Listen to verses 24 to 25. This is what the Bible says. And I'm mindful of the time, so don't worry. He has just told them, take your offering and go to the place that I tell you to go. Go to the temple, go to worship. Now, here's the reality. For some people, that was going to be a far distance to travel. Not only are you taking your family and your kids, you've got to take the offering with, and you've got to protect that offering from all threats and from all physical harm and everything. It's got to be a, a lamb without blemish and so forth and so on. So bearing that in mind, this is what God says, verse 24. But if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord has blessed you, 
By the way, when you give, you're giving because God has blessed you. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. So you give. Anytime you breathe, he's blessed you. Anytime you eat, he's blessed you. Anytime you drink something, he's blessed you. He's blessed you. And because he's blessed you, and if the distance is too great for you, verse 25, then exchange it for silver and take the silver in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. God is a common sense God. He knows our limitations better than we do. He's never going to place a command on us that is burdensome. 1 John 5, 3, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. And if they ever do feel burdensome, by the way, he will give you the strength and the grace to bear up under it. The command is never burdensome. It may feel burdensome when you start, but the more you do it, the less burdensome it will begin, begin to feel. You go to the gym and you start lifting weights, you're going to be sore a little bit. So what do you do? You push through, you keep lifting. And all of a sudden, what you thought was heavy at 25 pounds, light as a feather. So you up it. And that may seem a little hard. So you push through it. All of a sudden, 35, 40 pounds is nothing. Next thing you know, you're lifting weights you never even fathomed. It may feel burdensome at first, but keep doing it. God will give you the, the grace that you need to bear up under it. Obeying God's never a burdensome. And by the way, this passage shows us this. He says, listen, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to worship. This is how you worship. This is how I've commanded you to worship. But I recognize that there may be some real limitations with this. And I don't want to create a burden on you that is too great for you to bear. So if the journey is too great, and if you can't make this journey with all these things that you have to bring with you, then here's what you do. Sell it for silver and take it with you. And I'm going to tell you what to do with it. He's a common sense God. He understands your limitations. I don't know what your checkbook says, but he does. I don't know what bills you have, but he does. You can trust God with your money. So give faithfully. I can't do 10%. Start at 5. Work, work your way up. We've already covered that. It's time you get out of kindergarten. It's time we, we graduate you out of it. So we're going to do that together. We're going to walk with you in that. His people had to bring a sacrifice that was up to snuff. And if it was too much, they could sell it, take the silver, and go on. God's going to provide a way for you to make that offering. He's going to provide a way. I know of one family member who loves the Lord. And she was in a, a really difficult season of life. And she said, Lord, I just don't have any money to give you. I don't have any money to tithe this week. Paid all my bills, forgot to write the check. I ain't got no money left. And she's getting ready. And she was high up in AT&T. And her husband walked in and gave her $60 and said, I thought you might want to buy a new blouse for your meeting in Nashville. Which is something he had never done. And she was in the bathroom doing her hair. She said, Lord, any money you give me, I'm just going to give right back to you. Here he comes with 60 bucks. And she said, all right. I got my tithe money. She didn't buy the blouse. She gave it to the Lord. God's going to provide a way for you to tithe. I've seen that in my own life. Lord, I don't have money to tithe. Will you give me some money to tithe? He does. Ultimately, he's most concerned about the heart behind the offering than he is about how much that offering is. Amen. Now, yes, biblically speaking, a tithe is 10%. We're in the new covenant, a greater covenant of that. And we should want to give more than 10%. Mm -hmm. 
10% is the starting place, friend. It's the starting place. Giving to God is not burdensome, but it's also to be done joyfully. It's to be done joyfully. Verse 26, the Bible tells us you may spend the silver on anything you want. So remember, he says, take that offering, sell it for silver, and take it with you. Verse 26, you may spend that silver on anything you want. Now listen to this list. Cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer, or anything else you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. Hey, you're going to have to make this journey to worship me. You're going to have to bring that offering. And even if you can't bring that one, sell it, take the silver. And when you get to where you're going, buy what you need, buy whatever you desire. And you're going to feast on that in my presence. And not only are you going to feast on it, you're going to be joyful in doing it. Hey, give back to the Lord, but you're also going to be blessed in this. Now I understand we're evangelicals, we're Baptist, and right now we're getting into the part of the sermon that some of you are going to think, boy, that sounds like some of them joy boys on television. Can I just tell you, I can't help, I can't help the fact that they have hijacked something and made it into something it isn't. I'm going to tell you what the text says, and you go from there, okay? In your giving, you're going to be blessed. In your giving, you're going to be able to partake of this. You're going to eat. You're going to rejoice. What you don't give with joy, God doesn't need nor won't. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. The word there for cheerful can be translated delirious. The more tired I become, the more delirious I become. I don't know if that's the case with you. But it's the idea of being so overcome with joy, you just really can't help yourself. We've seen that in the book of Acts, that the early church, they would sell all that they had, and they would give to each as they had need, who was in their number. They would give. They, they were generous givers. They did so joyfully, not out of coercion, not out of uh, uh, obligation. That was part of Ananias and Sapphira's problem in Acts chapter 5, is that they did that in order to gain the approval of the church, and in doing so, God said, negative ghostwriter, that's not what you do. That's not a proper offering. Here's what you should have done. Ananias received immediate judgment. Sapphira, I believe, had an opportunity to repent and didn't. That sermon will be up later this week, so you can go back and listen to it. It's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, however you get your podcast. But listen, he loves a joyful giver. He wants you to do it joyfully. It's not burdensome. It's an act of worship. Don't treat it as something it's not. Don't treat it as something that... uh, 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 well, just don't treat it as something that it's not. Treat it as worship. Treat it as an opportunity to be joyful. God's blessed you. And he says, I want you to partake in it. I want you to partake in it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to be blessed by this. As you give, you celebrate the faithfulness of God. How has God been faithful? Celebrate that. Celebrate that faithfulness. Here's the other thing, last thing for today. Giving to God is not done in vain. It's not done in vain. Verse 27 and following. Do not neglect the Levite within your city gates, since he has no portion or inheritance among you. At the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year and store it within your city gates. Then the Levite, who has no portion or inheritance among you, the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow within your city gates may come, eat, and be satisfied. 
And the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Giving to God is never done in vain. Through your faithfulness, others are blessed and encouraged, and God takes notice of your offering. When you give to the ongoing work of God through this local congregation, by the way, if you're a member of this church, it is fully expected that you're tithing, and I'll, just, I'll go on record as saying that just in case I haven't said it already. When you give to the ongoing work of God through this local body of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi, 3801 Coventry Drive, 39562, when you give to this congregation, you're helping keep the lights on, you're helping fund staff salaries. Every staff member here is offered a salary. They don't have to take it, but they're offered a salary. Two of us take it. We thank you for that. You're funding ministries. We thank you for that. You're funding the utilities. We thank you for that. You're helping pay off that multi-purpose building. We thank you for that. You're doing that. Others are blessed. We're about to start talking about a thing called Back to School Bash. It's going to take place in August. It's going to be an opportunity for us to reach out to this community and meet physical needs as we show them the love of Jesus. You're going to be hearing more about that from me in about the next month, month and a half. When you give, you're blessing them. Can I just tell you? We can't tell them we love you when we're not willing to meet them where they're at. And so when you give, you're helping meet those needs. Now, we're not about to go pay everybody's electric bill or utility bill, whatever the case. We're going to meet some very practical needs. It's at the start of August. What happens in August? Well, what happens in July now? It's the start of school. So we're going to give school supplies. We're going to meet physical needs. We want them to be able to say, that church loves us. And the best we can figure out is there's a dude named Jesus in the mix. And can I just tell you, I've been at a church who has placed a high priority on meeting physical needs in the name of Jesus so that those people say of that church, they love us and they love Jesus. And that opens up all sorts of doors. When you give your blessing, not only this congregation, and, 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 and the laborers that you have called for this season, however long this season may be, you're also blessing the community. And God notices that, and God honors that. And God says, I'm going to bless all the work of your hands that you do. Now listen, that blessing is going to come in one of two times. Are you ready? It's either going to come in this life, or it's going to come in the next. But God will repay you for what you have given. And God will repay you with interest. God will repay you with interest. In Luke's gospel, and Jesus is uh, talking in this particular chapter about forgiveness and, and laying down uh, bitterness and so forth and so on. But there's application and principle here for us. Jesus says this, give, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. This, this will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, Jesus is talking about forgiving, uh, forgiving others. The crossover application for this is also this. When you give, God's going to return it to you. It may be in this life. Can I just tell you, I'm not holding my breath personally for him to repay me in this life. 
If he'll meet my needs, I'm content with that. I'll save my reward for heaven because I want to be able to enjoy it. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I can't enjoy it in this life. It's not like when I take a day off, I can go outside and, you know, tend to a garden. There are thorns in a garden. Nobody likes that. So I want to save it. Because, by, by the way, there are no thorns in heaven, but, or weeds for that matter. That's a result of the fall. But when I get to heaven, and Jesus says, hey, Craig, you can tend the garden. I'm not going to have to worry about pulling weeds. I'm going to be able to enjoy that inheritance. Now, that's just me, and that's a little bit of religious imagination at play there. I'm just going to be happy when I get there. Whatever the job is, he wants me to scrub a toilet with a toothbrush. Let's go. Okay. It's not done in vain. He's going to give it back to you. And by the way, when you extend forgiveness toward others, this is just a sidebar. When, he extends forg- when you extend forgiveness toward others, God's going to give forgiveness to you. Why are you able to faithfully give? Why are you able to faithfully give 10% of your income to the ongoing work of God through his local church? Well, you're able to do it because he has freely given his son to you. If Jesus would have never died and rose again, your giving would be in vain. It'd be pointless. It'd be pointless. My goodness, can, can I just tell you something? There's not an ASPCA in heaven. There's not a Kiwanis Club. There's not a Rotary Club. By the way, those are great organizations. But you know what? Only the kingdom of God will last. Those other things will pass away. So Christian, the reason you give is because he is freely given to you. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he's first loved us. I think we also see a principle there. We give because he first gave to us. We give. And if you don't know Jesus, the reality is your sin debt's too great for you to even begin to repay. You've got to accept his gift. And his gift is the forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Sin is anything we think, say, or do that displeases God and breaks his rules, and that sin results in death. Let me tell you something. God repays us when we give to him he's also going to pay us for the sin that we do and you don't want that check because you're going to have to cash it when you cash that check that's an eternity separated from him the bible says if you confess jesus as lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll be saved repent of your sins turn from sin turn to jesus and christian if you're in here and you're a member of this church and you've been withholding stop it Stop it, stop it, stop it. You start giving faithfully, regularly, and consistently. Because you know if we all gave undesignated tithes and offerings, our budget would be fine. We might still have a little bit of a budget shortfall. We're still perfecting our budget. But a tithe is an undesignated offering, Christian. When you decide to attach a string to it, you're robbing the rest of the body. Now, I don't have a problem with designated giving. I do have a problem when you rob God and his bride. And when you take your designated gift and you say, I'm going to give this in lieu of my tithe, I believe you've crossed a line you shouldn't have. Because you're not funding all of it. I don't have a problem with designated giving. Because Jesus designated a gift for me if I take it. Name's Jesus. But you're to give freely. 
with no strings attached because he's given freely with no strings attached. So Christian, you go home, you look at your checkbook. You say, Lord, what do I need to do? You know, there's an interim pastor by the name of Todd Davis who I know said from this pulpit, or maybe down here, I don't know, I wasn't here for it, I just know that he said it, that if you need to cut your cable in order to faithfully give, then you cut your cable. What do you need to trim out that just doesn't need to be there, Christian? You want everybody else to be good stewards of their money, you need to be a good steward of yours. An unbeliever? You really can't be a good steward of your money until you know the one who gives you the wisdom for it. As our praise team comes, will you stand and pray with me this morning? Lord God, we love you and we thank you. And we pray that you would be with us this week, Lord, as we seek to steward your money that you've entrusted to us well for your glory and for the good of your people. Lord, I pray that as we, as we go from this place, that we would be sensitive to how we use your money. And Lord, I realize we don't always do that perfectly. We can't ever do it perfectly, God, but we can, but we can be excellent. So, Lord, I pray that whatever sin we need to confess as far as it comes to our money, God, that we would confess it to you, repent of it, and trust you to call the shots for our money. You say that with your careful eye on us, you will give us instruction. You'll do that in our money, too. So, Lord, we... We trust you in that. And God, if there's someone in here who's under the weight of the debt of their sin, and they've never turned to you in faith and in repentance, God, I pray that you would turn their heart today, that they would respond to you in faith and in obedience. They would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, save me, for I am a sinner. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.